Our children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. Uh, if you'd open your Bible to uh, the book of Colossians, we're going to uh, take, a, take a, a look there this morning. We'll be reading and then um, praying. I, before, we, before we move on, I just want to say that there is, there is something that is so powerful about speaking the truth. Um, but then when you set those uh, words of truth to music, um, that, that it is well with our soul. Uh, because God is in control. Uh, there's something so powerful about that. And so uh, thank you for that, uh, that, that piano selection just now. It was wonderful. Um, we're going we're gonna to turn to the book of Colossians, and we'll, we'll begin reading in, in verse 1. We'll get back to Matthew. Um, it's just I, I, have, I have felt like I need to, need to come and camp in certain places uh, over the last few weeks. And so uh, we're going to be reading in Colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 1, and then we're going to pray, and we'll see uh, what, what uh, God's Word tells us. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it, does, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we could spend reading your word and for the confidence that we can have that when we read your word, we are reading the words of your servants, yes, who, who knew the truth and who spoke the truth and who took pen and put it to paper that we might know what you have said to us. But we are reading the words of your servants who wrote because they were guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we read the very words of God spoken to us that we may know who you are, how to live, how to be saved from, from death how to be delivered from sin, how to, to live in a way that honors and pleases you. And so we thank you for your word. We pray that, that in, a, in a day and age of innovation and technology and, and uh, all kinds of, of practical solutions and new ways of thinking, it seems, about everything, that we would not throw away ancient words because your words do not shift or change. What you have spoken of in your word does not become irrelevant. The Bible is not boring, though some may make it boring. If we take your word and we, we dig into it and we humble ourselves before you, you will speak to us. And so we pray that now you will speak to us, shape us, encourage us, lead us, convict us, correct us, guide us. In all of this, we pray that we would see Jesus and that we would know him and love him and make it our goal to make him known. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So yesterday during our, our Lead Like Jesus meeting, uh, I scared myself when the microphone came on. I was nervous. Um, Who's that loud guy talking? Um, yesterday, we were, we were talking in, in our Lead Like Jesus meeting about mission and vision and purpose and values and, uh, and a whole bunch of other things that are, that are involved. When you, when you seek to influence others, you are, you are taking up the mantle of leadership. And Christians are called, Jesus says that we're, we're not to lead 
as Christians, like the world leads, we're not, we're not supposed to lord it over others and say, this is the way, do this, do that, follow me, obey me, you know, that sort of thing. We're supposed to uh, serve. And so the greatest among the church, Jesus says, is the one who serves. And, and I think that we are to see in that that no one outserves the Lord Jesus and he is greatest in the church. So we're talking about mission, vision, purpose, values, all kinds of things that um, I, 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 I'll be honest, I have tripped over many times in the past. Um, sometimes it seems like a, a church gets on this, this track of talking about vision and mission, and they can, they can then seem to leave the scriptures behind. You know, they can leave behind the, the purpose of the church as stated in God's word and, and not, not be focused on what it is that God has said. And so as I was, I was talking yesterday, I felt like I was tripping over my own words. Um, the, the, the idea, every now and again, I've, I've run into a pastor or somebody from another church and they'll say something like, what is your church's mission? Or you're a, you're a pastor, what's your, what's your vision? for the?" And I always just, I, I kind of think like, ah, I don't, it just bothers me the way I don't want to get hyper-spiritual. I don't want to eliminate useful talk when it comes to, uh, to vision or mission. The concepts are important, but we need to have some, some caution there. We, uh, we spent the, the time yesterday talking about uh, how has God made you and what, what has he assigned to you? You know, has he created you in a particular way and cut you out for a particular kind of work? You know, do you have a personal mission? And if you're interested in, in uh, hearing a little bit about that, you know, if that's something that might be valuable to you, just let me know, and, and I'll, I'll, I can walk you through it if you weren't able to be there. Um, but, but let's just take a second. Okay, mission, vision. Uh, we're going we're gonna to put that on a shelf. We'll have, we're going to have a science moment, okay? Um, trust me, this will all add up. It's, there's, there's, I feel like there should be like a, a video clip that plays behind me. Don't put anything on, Jack. Um, a, a video clip that's like, it's a moment for science, right? You know, um, there's, there's a man by the name of Johannes Kepler, right? And, uh, and this man had a telescope, uh, nothing like the telescopes we have today. And, and he applied himself to uh, working hard at figuring out why the planets did what they did. You know, why were they visible sometimes and not visible at other times? Like, what was going on out there? Because there, there were no astronauts, there, was no, uh, there were no super powerful telescopes. And so uh, people will say, this man is the one who invented the laws of planetary motion, okay? That's Johannes Kepler. But that would be a wrong statement because he did not invent anything, right? He discovered the laws of planetary motion. He, there, there was a mystery there, and he, by calculating and doing all kinds of, of math and uh, testing, he discovered, he unveiled the laws of planetary motion, okay? This will add up. Let's just stick with me. This is what, this is what Kepler said. Uh, he said about his own work, I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Then he says this, since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to read that again. I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. Translate that into, into uh, 
uh, the Christian worldview with regard to the church, we ought to be thinking God's thoughts after him. Since we Christians are priests of the highest God in regard to the books of scripture, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. When it comes to the mission and the vision of what the church should be doing, the book of Deuteronomy, I think, is relevant to us. It says this in verse 29 of chapter 29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. We don't have to invent what is to be discovered And we may have discovered something about the the nature of the church and the truths of the scriptures that need to be revisited, rehearsed, or rediscovered so that we can remember what we already know and apply it to our lives in the here and now, to to the mission of the church. So that when we say, what is our mission? What is our vision? We say, we believe our vision is God's vision for the church. We believe our mission is God's mission, and we are just thinking his thoughts after him. Okay, so two two Colossians in just one second. Um, Sometimes the the crud and the demands and the, um, the, uh, the circumstances that we live with can pollute, right? They can, they can build up. And they can obscure what it is that we are all about from our view. Um, I don't generally clear my gla- clean my glasses, right? I will, I will wipe my glasses often. And I think that sometimes maybe it's just I'm like rearranging the location of whatever's already on my glasses. Um, Nancy will take my glasses. Um, and it's been a while, hasn't it? Um, and and she, will, she will run them under ultra hot water or something. She does stuff. I can't see, you know, when she's doing it. Um, and she gives them back, and suddenly the world looks different, right? It's just like, wow, you, you've grown, child, you know? Um, but it's, 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 everything is as it was. It just looks much more clear. Um, so Paul writes to the Colossians. And this is what he says as he begins his letter to them. He says, I am praying for you. I'm praying for you, Colossians. Uh, Paul does not know the Colossians. Uh, He has never met them. He knows Epaphras, who heard the gospel and who was so moved by the truth that it transformed his heart. It bore fruit. He went to the city of Colossae and started a church. He began to preach the gospel, and he's gathering the church together. So Paul says, I'm praying for you, and that's good. We should pray, right? Why do we pray? And how should we pray? Look at what Paul says here. In verse 3, he says, we thank God. He says, I always thank God when I pray for you. Paul is thinking about a city and a church of people that he has never met. And when he prays for them, he is thankful. He looks at the world through eyes of gratitude. He is excited about their existence and their faith, you'll see in verse 4. He says, I thank my God for you because of your faith and because of your love, and because of the hope that you have, because the gospel is changing you. The good news about Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done is transforming these people. And Paul sees the work taking place, and he says, I am thrilled that this is happening. 
Uh, These people are turning from their sins, turning from self and sinfulness and looking to God, being cleansed from their sins because of the work that Jesus has done. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm thankful. I'm praying for you ever since I heard about your faith. Why does Paul pray when he hears about their faith, when he, when he learns of them? Why pray? Paul knows that he is dependent on God for everything. Every good gift, the book of James says, that, that, that is given, it comes from the Father. And so everything that is good that's happening in that city and that's happening in that people and that's happening in Paul and that's happening in Epaphras comes from the hand of God. If God isn't in it, it will fail. But if God is in it, if he is blessing it, if he is working and moving, then it will succeed. And so he prays. Let's look at the content of Paul's prayer. He says that he's praying that they would be filled with the the knowledge of God's will. Now, when we think about the knowledge of God's will, many times we we think of what I would call a target will, right? Like a a, a bullseye kind of will. Like we, we ask the question, should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I spend this money? You know, should I, should I, should I, should I, should I, right? And we ask all these very precise and simple questions. But there's also a kind of, a kind of prayer that's, that's praying for God's will. It's not a target kind of a look, but a, a roadway kind of a look, right? I think that's what Paul's praying about here. He doesn't say, I pray that you will do these specific things, but he says, I'm praying that, that you would have these travel conditions on the road of your life. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. As they they grow in their knowledge of the word and what what God has done for them in Christ and what God has for them, the way that God leads and guides them, he believes, as they are filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it says there in this section in verses 9 and 10, that they will be filled with a desire to live holy lives as they understand God's will, that they, that they would be fully pleasing to the Lord, right? When, when, you, when you see parents with young children, right, uh, out at a restaurant or something, you can tell whether those children are behaving in a way that's fully pleasing, right? You know, if you hear them say, sit down, sit down, sit down, you know, you're not going to get any dessert. You know, this is not fully pleasing, right? You know, fully pleasing is you've been so good, you've been so wonderful. You know, kid is just sitting there doing whatever he's supposed to be doing, scribbling with crayons or whatever, you know. Um, God looking down at his church and saying, those are my children. Fully pleasing. And And that the church would be Knowing God's will, they would be bearing fruit in every good work. That's what the, 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 the Christian is created for. To continue to, to work hard, to continue to labor, but to, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, to walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand. And that, and that the church would be increasing in the knowledge of God. So he prays that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Second, he prays that they would be strengthened with all power, that they would be strong. Now, this is not the kind of prayer for strength that, that we might pray. You know, if you were ever a teen and you decided that you were going to lift, you know, if you ever read those little comic 
things in the, in the back of comic books where it was like, you know, the bully comes and, and somehow this shrimpy, wimpy, you know, gaunt little man is sitting with this beautiful girl, uh, but the big bully comes and kicks sand in his face and then he sends in the coupon. Is this familiar to anybody, right? And then he gets all ripped. I mean, I, I must have seen this hundreds of times reading comic books as a kid. Uh, and you can tell that I, I'm mad. <laughs> no. Um, we, we think of strength. Paul says that he prays that they would be strengthened with all power. And, and we tend to think, oh, I need to be strong. And we think I will do it myself. But Paul says that he prays that they would be strengthened according to God's glorious might. That they would understand the way that God works in people. And that they would be strong in him. That they would rely that they would depend, that, that when suffering comes, that they would endure, that when difficulty comes or when they are forced to wonder about the future, that they would be patient and joyous, and that in all things, knowing that they depend on God, that they would be filled with gratitude toward the Father. Why? Because as, as Brother Bruce was talking this morning, that the sun is always shining, even if the clouds are in the sky. You know, that's why we can't see the sun. Um, it's because it's either on the opposite side of the planet or there's, there's clouds out there that are obscuring it. That, that in each and every moment, no matter what the conditions or circumstances are in our life, if we are in Christ, if we are trusting in his work, if we're relying on him, then we can be grateful and thankful, knowing that the Father, as it says in verse 13 and 14 here, the Father has qualified us to be in Christ. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's where each and every one of us were born. Lost, trapped in sin. But, 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 but God qualified us to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Imagine this is, this is a, an analogy of what happened in, in your life when you trusted in Christ. And if you've not trusted in Christ, if you, if you have no awareness of whether you will be judged for your sins, then consider what I have to say here. Uh, imagine that you, you are living in, in a dark, bleak, aimless country where you struggle and you, you seek to earn God's affection and, and you secretly wish that, 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 that your life were different and you curse God because he's not making your life work and you, you, you do wicked things that God despises. But you, but you hear that there is another country and you think, maybe... Maybe I can be delivered. And you go to the gate and you say, can I come in? Can I, can I make the transition? And the guy at the gate says, hang on a minute. What's your name? Meyer Keith. Okay. And he looks at the list and he says, your application has been approved. I, you, no, you were qualified. I didn't, I didn't fill anything out. No, you were qualified. You are, you are qualified by the king who runs the other country. The father has qualified you to be in the kingdom of the beloved son. You have, you have nothing to offer him. You have, you have no ability to, to earn his affection. You have no way of making the transition from the domain of darkness into the kingdom, as it says in verse 14, of his beloved son. But the father has qualified you. You know what that means? That means in each and every circumstance. And this is easy to say, brothers and sisters, but very hard to live in. And so don't feel like I'm saying just, just paste this Bible verse into your life and you'll feel a whole lot better. No, this is a truth 
to be, to be fought for and, and grasped and believed in each and every circumstance, you can say, I am qualified to be part of this kingdom because God approved me. He approved me. I didn't even know I needed this. And when I, when I said, me, can I come? He said, yes, approved. Big red approved letters on your, on your application. Approved. And you didn't even know you had to fill anything out. That's his prayer, that they would be strengthened with spiritual power and that they would be thankful and grateful. Prayer, Paul's prayer is also Jesus-focused. He then, as he's talking about the, the kingdom of the beloved son, I believe Paul, as he's writing, he just, he just can't not say something about Jesus here. And so verse 15 begins that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of all things. All things are created by him, through him, for him. He's the purpose and goal of everything. This is a world, if we have spiritual eyes to see it, that is intensely Jesus-focused. When I read verse 15, I always think of Jesus as the, the fingerprint of God, his, his exact identifying image. What does, what does the Father look like? He looks just like Jesus. Uh, my, my son, Sam, people say something about him. Uh, we hear this about all of our children, actually, but, but mostly about Sam. He's older. Uh, people will say to me, he looks just like you. He looks just, like there is no denying that is your kid. And I'm like, is that something that people do? Um, you know, he, there's no denying that, that he is your kid. Like he looks just like you, you know, and they'll say the way he talks and the way, um, which is interesting because people will also say this. I see this occasionally on, on Facebook or I hear it when we're at family gatherings with Nancy's family. They'll say about Nancy's dad, about Pop-Up, they'll say, Bill, he looks just like you. Look at him. He's like the spitting image of you which is funny because Bill is like this tall and I'm this tall and he didn't look like me and I don't look like him. <laughs> but Sam looks like both of us, which is kind of amazing. When we, when we look at Jesus, we can see, now no comparison to who stands on either side, all right? Because I was over here and Bill was over here. So whatever I do with my hands next, I'm not, I'm not comparing myself or him to anyone, okay? Um, <laughs> so just want to be super careful with that. Um, when we look at Jesus, we see the noblest and best of what humanity was created to be. We, we see the human hero. We see exactly what, what we should be like and what we want to be, and we can say he is the best of us. And yet at the same time, we look at Jesus and we can see that, that he is the perfect representation and image of his father. And that he comes into this world and we say, if God were standing right here, and he is when Jesus is there, if God were right here, that's what God would do. That's the way God is. And so people do this thing where they're like, well, I know Jesus is like this, but God the father, it's like, no, 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 no. Whatever Jesus does it's not that he's instructing his father. Jesus says, whatever I see my father doing, I do. He's the exact image of God. Amen. He looks just like you, heavenly father. Yes. And so, so, so Paul, 
Paul prays that they would be intensely Jesus-focused, that they would not forget that the reason why they have access to this kingdom, deliverance from the domain of darkness, is because of the work of Jesus. He is extremely now, at this point, redemptive-focused. The fact that humans need to be rescued in order to get into that, into that domain. It's not just that, that God approves an application or something like that, but that, but that work must be done by God to save humans because of, of the dire condition that they are in. Look at what verse 21 says. Paul prays that they would be focused on redemption. And so I pray also for our church that, that, that no matter what we attain, no matter how organized we get or, or how big we get or any of those things, it doesn't, does those things don't matter if we forget that we are sinners who have been saved and that this is all about the work of Jesus. Look at what verse 21 says says in the, the verses following it. It says that once we were alienated from God and hostile in mind, we, we were rebels and enemies. We, we, our thoughts toward God were antagonistic. Even if we say before we were saved that we loved God, we still wanted to use God for our purposes. And that is hostility toward him because you don't use God. God works through us. God serves us. He is the ground of our being. He does not exist for our well-being. Not only were we alienated and hostile in mind, our actions were evil, but now, it says, we are reconciled to God. We can be friends with God. We're no longer alienated. We have been, we have, our relationship has been repaired. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross, it says. We're reconciled in the body of flesh by his death. He went to the cross, right? He is the best of humanity. He takes on our flesh and our nature, and he stands in our place, right? Um, if, if, you have, if you have ever seen uh, anyone volunteer to do a, a dirty job or something that's not, that, they, that they don't desire, uh, for someone else, if someone says, I'll do that, don't make them do that. Or if, if somebody has, has paid the price for someone else, that's Jesus stepping into the role of, of a substitute and taking on the burden of the sinner. Jesus, completely righteous, goes to the cross to take the punishment so that our punishment will be taken away, so that we, he, we can be reconciled to God the Father. And so he is the best of us. He is humanity's best friend saying, I will, I will fix the broken relationship that you have with God, with, with me, with the Father. And coming from the Father, he says, I will take their punishment. I will, I will die for their sins so that that punishment can actually be paid because we are a righteous and holy God and sin must be punished. And so, so Jesus reconciles us to humanity. He pays, he reconciles us to God. He pays the price for humanity. Why does he do that? So that he can present us holy and blameless in God's presence. Look at your children, God. Look at our family. They are purified and they love us and they, they, they desire to live holy lives. 
but we need to persist in it, Paul says, verse 23. We need to continue in that. We, we, don't, we, we need to not fall away. We need to not shift on to a different hope like our good deeds or, or what we give or the way that we serve people. We need, to, we need to avoid allowing other things like our prayer life or how much Bible we read or whether we go on mission trips or stuff like that. We need to not let that become part of what makes us righteous. We need to be steadfast and stay focused on Jesus. And so that's Paul's prayer. It's saturated with his hope for them, right? That they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they'd be strengthened with spiritual power, that they would be Jesus-focused, and that they would be redemptively focused, okay? Now, let's think about thinking God's thoughts after him and mission and vision, okay? Paul's prayer is saturated with God's mission, right? God's mission. What is, what is God's mission? To, to declare his will to humanity, to, to restore the original life of humanity back to them, right? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they died, not physically, but spiritually. They were alienated from God. And God is now qualifying people to be part of his kingdom again, strengthening with power. How? Through Jesus, through the work of Jesus on the cross, and so this prayer for them, for their benefit, is saturated with God's mission. And it's so interesting because what Paul is going to say now is that his mission is part of God's mission. Look at what he says. He says in verse 24. Um, no, where is it? Oh, verse 23. He says, um, that, that this gospel, the hope of the gospel that you've heard has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, am a minister of that gospel. He administers it. He's a, he's a conduit, right? Um, think about how inconvenient it would be if there were not containers to transport things in the world, right? I mean, just take orange juice for a second, right? I mean, orange juice is like this hyper expensive thing. I think it's more, more expensive than gasoline and inkjet ink right? Like the toner. Why is this stuff so expensive? Um, anyway, um, you, you take orange juice, right? The most precious thing in the world, and there are all these guys squeezing it down in Florida. I mean, imagine if you just had to, like, get underneath the, the, the guys, and just, like, we all had to line up. No, what they do is they, they squeeze the orange juice, and they take all the water out of it, which is apparently some kind of sin, is all the bottles say. Not from concentrate, right? They, they, they put it in these little containers, they freeze it, or they, they bottle it, and then they ship it all over the place. And you just go into the supermarket, there's not an orange tree for miles. And you just grab some orange juice, take it home, and, and drink it. Kids are like, the kids think it's easy, right? And there's a massive amount of effort involved in getting you orange juice. That's the way it is with the gospel. Paul says, I am a minister of it. God did the work, and then, and then Paul takes it to those who need it. He is a, the transport system or the delivery system. And every single Christian has this as part of their life mission. Paul's prayer is built on the facts, the fundamental realities of the spiritual universe. He desires that they be filled with thankfulness. Who, who considering their true spiritual state, apart from God, dead in sins and trespasses, and, and with God, 
raised to newness of life and blessed with every, every blessing in the heavenly places, who, who really truly considering and knowing that that's real would not be filled with gratitude towards God? And then focused on Jesus and focused on, on the fact that all that's good comes from God the Father and from his Son and focused on knowledge of God's will. So here's, here's what we learn in this passage. Paul has clean glasses on. He is not inventing his own vision. He's not dreaming up his own mission. Some people I hear speak of, of their vision as a dream of some unique novel future that enshrines them as unique and memorable, right? You know, that, that they will have a place in the universe and no one will ever forget them. Um, I, I think that's very difficult to be a human being who will ultimately never be forgotten, Right? I mean, you think about the, the, the founders of our country and how important they are to many of us, and it's like, that stuff was only 200 years ago, you know? Who are the founders of, of like, China, which is a super, oh, we didn't, nobody has any idea who these folks were. You know, we've forgotten. No, it's not some, some, some thing that, that makes us unique and memorable vision, uh, is, is not some, as some have described it, a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? You know, that you need to have some wild dream that, that's so impossible that you could never attain it, and then, and then, and then God will attain it. No, um, there, there, are, there are also some who develop a vision or a plan for their life, and they say, this is my vision. They formulate some plan, and then they say, God, this is what I've, this is what I've put together. This is what I want. Would you bless that? That's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is praying that they, that the Colossians would have a vision that is consistent with God's plan, with God's mission, with God's vision. Paul is thinking God's thoughts after him. And his vision is clear, and so he's able to be laser-focused on what needs to happen. What is, what, is, what is God's vision, God's desire, God's mission doing for Paul? Think about it. His God's mission fuels Paul's prayer, right? Paul's prayers do what? They fuel his mission. His mission fuels his prayers. Mission, uh, 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 his prayers fuel his mission. Power comes from God. Opportunity comes from God. The gospel, the good news comes from God. And so Paul is filled with thankful boldness and joy. And what's the result? He, he is a man as they say, on a mission, right? He is, he is going somewhere. He is doing something. Look at, look at what he's doing. Verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I knew this was going to happen. I'm down to like, I got 10 minutes left and I'm going to hit this ultra controversial passage. Um, and, uh, but I'm just going to, we're, we're going to get it done. Um, Paul says that he counts it a joy to suffer because he sees that his sufferings are part of the journey in the overall plan of God. Paul has a mission. He's not going to stop because of a little suffering, right? He starts preaching. He's like, you know, y'all are alienated from God, and I was too. And like somebody throws a rock at him, and he's like, all right, keep on preaching, right? You know, he's not going to stop because, because somebody rejects him. Um, he's not going to stop because of a little suffering or a lot of suffering. He has steel in his will because what God wills to come to pass, because what God dreams desires, it all comes true. And Paul is on that 
mission. And so he says he rejoices in his sufferings and he rejoices that he can fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay. Now you might say, whoa, what does that mean? Does that mean he's, that Jesus didn't suffer enough or that something's not done? That, that, that Jesus' work is not finished? No. Okay. Jesus' suffering is sufficient to save. He goes to the cross and, and he endures all of God's wrath against sin so that those who say, that's my savior, that's my substitute, they're delivered from that suffering. Jesus' suffering is sufficient to save, and it's the only thing that saves. Jesus says, right before he gives up the spirit, he says, it is finished. And the redemption of sinners is accomplished in that moment. But the condition to make disciples is unfinished. The dispensing of the mission is undone, right? The orange juice is squeezed, but it is not delivered. And so um, it, is, it is tough to do that work, to, to deliver the gospel. You know, I went into a, um, a Dunkin' Donuts a couple weeks ago, and I ordered my favorite donut, the sour cream donut, superior to all donuts. You might be like, eh, sour cream. If you haven't tried it, don't knock it. It's great. And so I went in there, and I said... Um, I'd, I'd, like a, uh, I'd like a sour cream donut. They said, we don't have any. And I'm like, good thing I'm at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Time to make the donuts. Go in the back. And then they said, they said, we don't make them here. I'm like, what? They bring them in on a truck. There's like some central bakery. Can you imagine? I work at the central bakery. Um, so, so a couple weeks ago, my son Sam decided that he was going to make donuts on the stove and bring them to school. Do you know how hard it is to make donuts? Dunkin' Donuts makes it look easy, right? They're just like, look, we've got 70,000 varieties of them, and they're all there, you know? But then you get in there and you say, make me a donut. They're like, we can't, it's hard, there's a bakery, right? It's difficult to take the gospel places. And so what Paul is saying is, is, that, is that Christ suffers, yes, and he purchases redemption for humanity, but there is a suffering that remains. And it's the suffering that all those who know the gospel and who know it's their mission to share it and to dispense it and to establish the church and to, to bring people to Christ, that is a difficult work. And we must suffer to get the message out. It will be difficult. We will be nervous. We will experience rejection. But we cannot forget that we are ministers or dispensers. Paul says he rejoices in his role as a minister of the gospel. He's doling out the mystery of the gospel. Uh, a mystery, it says in verse 26, that's been hidden for ages and ages. God's great rescue work. Um, as I was driving home a number of years ago, I noticed that right over by Chep Chesapeake Shipbuilding on, on uh, Fitzwater Street, they, they had cleared the ground. You know, it was just like a grassy field and you could see the water. And it was actually kind of pretty on some days. And, um, and so, so they'd cleared all the ground and there were like bulldozers moving. And that was like weeks and weeks of just, you know, what are those guys doing? Rearranging dirt all the time. Um, if you're in the building industry, I'm not mocking you. Um, then, then they put a bunch of concrete down and that was weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's like, what are they doing there? But then all of a sudden, right, the steel goes up and, and you're like, those buildings are going to be huge. And then the next day, they're completely covered. It took forever, it seemed, to lay the groundwork. And that's what God was doing in the Old Testament. 
And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems, Jesus goes to the cross and Paul says, that is the mystery of what God has been doing all this time, sending a savior so that we could know what his plan was. What, what, is, what was God's plan? Christ, he says in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What hope do we have of standing in God's presence one day and saying, I am your child and I know that I'm pleasing to you the fact that the life of God is in you because of the work of Jesus. He has made you fit for heaven if you have placed your trust in him. He's renovating your soul, raising your heart from the dead, remodeling your character, turning you into the best version of who you will be for all eternity. So look at, look at what Paul says here, because he's going to say the active verb, and I'm, 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 I'm shutting down here. Um, this is the active verb of the mission of the church. And I just, I feel like we're on the, we're on the verge, possibly, of some big changes. We're, we're doing some, uh, some important things here. We're, we're, we're hoping and dreaming. This is what's most important in all of it, is that the active verb of the mission of the church not change. That we continue to think God's thoughts after him, and if we're not thinking like God, we adjust. Verses 28 and 29 say this. Paul says, him, right, Jesus, we proclaim. We, we warn everyone. We say that there are dangers and traps that, that you might naturally think on. You might, you might think, now I trust Jesus. Now I need to work really hard for him, and you rely on self-effort. It's, it's not all about doing, but it's not all about knowing either. We, we warn everyone. Judgment is coming. We teach everyone. We tell them it's not, it's not just knowledge. It's, it's involved in getting, getting, it's part of it is we've got to get involved with people and coach them, but we do it wisely. We do it so that people love and rejoice and are excited by what they're hearing and so that they say, that's, that's attractive. I want that. I want to be delivered from my sins. Um, we, we speak to them in a way that, that they understand what we're saying. We don't just use all kinds of complicated, crazy Christian words that they don't understand regeneration, sanctification stuff, you know, put it in, in terms they can understand so they can internalize it. What's the goal of all this proclamation of, of saying that they need Jesus so that we can present them to Jesus, mature in him? We can say to Jesus, we relied on your power and your direction. We, we held firm as best as we were able in your strength to your mission, and we found your children like you asked us to. This is what Paul says, for this I toil, I strain and sweat, struggling. You think of, think of the pain of struggle. I struggle, Paul says, according to all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So let me ask this question as we close down this morning. As we think about what our mission and vision should be, no matter where we live, is our mission God's mission? Is your vision for your life, your, your goal of what you're thinking your life is going to look like in 20, 40, 10, 50 years, however many years, is that consistent with God's vision for your life? Or, or is there anything you need to wipe off your glasses is there anything you need to eject from your life? Is there anything that, that you need to throw away that it might be clear to you what it is that God desires to do with you? And as we work together, 
as a family of disciples of Jesus, are we moving in the direction of God's mission? Do we see his vision? Let's close in prayer. As we do that, I want to urge you, if you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, if you, if you take an honest look at yourself and you say, if I were to die at this moment, I would be separated from God because I am a sinner and nothing that I have done can purify myself. There's good news. The answer to, to that problem, that difficult situation, is to put your faith and trust in Jesus and he will deliver you from your sins. And he's the only one who can. So let me just urge you to, to ask him to save you. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you, you may be here this morning. You've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, there may be some junk that's accumulated in, in your life that's obscuring your vision. The Bible says that we're to lay aside every weight. I believe those are, those, are, those are good things that we hold on to that keep us from pursuing the perfect. And we're also to lay aside every sin, everything that we cling to, that we say, I love this, I need this. But God says, you don't need that, you only need me. Let's, let's throw those things aside and run the race with endurance, with our vision fixed upon Jesus. Father, we thank you that you're good and kind. We thank you that you save us and deliver us. And we pray, Father, that by your grace, you would help us stay on the path that you have set out for us. Let our mission be your mission. May our vision be yours. May we desire to see lives changed by the gospel, both ours and the lives of those who have not yet been delivered from the domain of darkness. And through all of it, may we celebrate the work of Jesus in our lives. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name.